Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. portion of the Christmas story where Mary and Joseph, having traveled the distance from Nazareth to Bethlehem in order to participate in the government census of their day, find themselves unable to procure lodging. So my literal no room for uh, Uyghur human rights activists at the Marriott in Prague is my connecting point today for us in terms of uh, looking toward Advent. There you go. That is Carmen's hook. So it is Friday, the 19th of November. Have you ever been turned away? Have you ever needed a place to stay and been turned away? Here's what's going on. Uh, Marriott is saying that in an effort to um, maintain political neutrality, which let's just go ahead and say there's nothing politically neutral about corporate America. But anyway, uh, they cited political neutrality as their excuse to turn away uh, a Uyghur human rights conference from the Marriott in Prague. Uh, In Axios, the story notes, quote, the decision to reject the conference reflects China's growing ability to extend authoritarian control beyond its borders by making clear to corporations that crossing the Communist Party's red lines will be bad for their businesses. So that's exactly what's going on. Um, On the China front, Americans are still waiting for the White House to make a final decision regarding American participation in the upcoming Olympic Games set to open in China on February the 4th, which, by the way, is just 77 days from now. And as that decision is being made, American athletes um, planning to participate. Now, uh, if they are women they're going to have to potentially compete against biological men. So the um, rules committee, the, uh, the, the international committee that oversees the Olympic Games issued uh, new guidance, and that includes that the eligibility of athletes will no longer include testosterone testing. They're not going to test testosterone levels Um, because they view that as punitive toward the transgender individual, towards the biological man who now identifies as a woman and wants to compete against biological women in Olympic competitions. So those new guidelines uh, say that the inclusion will be solely on the basis of gender identity. No no evidence that uh, that transgender athlete has... uh, testosterone levels that are within the range for female athletes. So I I don't, I don't, it's just the most grossly unfair thing I've heard today, Um, which is a good reminder that we don't live in a world of fairness. And I suppose that is something that um, we need to 
learn to uh, live with and deal with. I mean, we say that to our kids, right, all the time. But as adults, we sure do wish that we were able to at least maintain rules of fairness um, in things like the field of competitive play. All right, we're going to talk with Steve West. He's the editor of the Liberties Roundup from World Magazine. We're going to lead off with a conversation about Baronelle Stutzman. You will likely remember her name. She is a florist. She's now 77 years old. She spent the last eight years fighting for religious liberty. Um, Her case has been settled, but the issue is certainly not settled. Steve and I are going to talk about that next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. joins us now. He's the editor of the Liberties Roundup at World Magazine. You can find all of that at WNG.org. That stands for World News Group, WNG.org. Steve, welcome back. Thank you, Carmen. All right. So fill us in on the story of Baronel Stutzman. Well, it was quite a day yesterday. Uh, Baronel Stutzman was in a uh, uh, the uh, press conference room of uh, Alliance Defending Freedom in Washington, D.C., announcing that she had settled her case with an individual, two individuals who uh, wanted her to design a floral arrangement for a same-sex wedding. That was almost a decade ago when that happened. And so what happened is she agreed to pay a modest $5,000 to the two men who sued her, one who was a longtime friend and client of her business, Arlene's Flowers. Uh, and they agreed uh, that they would not pursue further fines, damages, or what would likely have been several million dollars in attorney's fees, but it would have gone to the American Civil Liberties Union. So she plans to retire and sell her business to her employees. But, the, you know, the Carmen, the, uh, the issue is not over, uh, even though this 77-year-old grandmother who had fought this case for so long uh, is ending her case. The issue is not over. Yeah, let's talk about that the, uh, because the uh, right yeah. the challenge the challenge persists or the question in the culture certainly persists. It does, and one of the reasons why I think, um, in addition to having fought this for so long and being the age that she is and exposed to financial ruin, another reason is that there's another case before the Supreme Court that uh, religious liberty watchers are hopeful uh, the court will take and will resolve some of these cases. It involves a Colorado website designer, uh, Lori Smith who, just like um, or similar to Baronel Stutzman, declines to employ you know, creative services, website design to support same-sex weddings. In her case, she hasn't actually done it, so she hasn't run afoul of the law. She's making a pre-enforcement challenge. But her case was uh, – she, she did not win her case in a federal court of appeals that issued a, a disastrous decision uh, earlier this year. Uh, and so – so she's up before the Supreme Court asking the Supreme Court to take her case. And we have to look back and remember that Baronel Sussman was before the Supreme Court uh, for a second time back in June. And to the disappointment of many, uh, the court did not take her case. But three justices indicated they would have. And so there's at least three on the court who want to deal with this issue. Hopefully uh, there will be more and can deal with this issue at some point in regard to Lori Smith. And that will help all of the people out there who uh, are creative in some way and employ their uh, creative talents to serve other people. For example, Jack Phillips, the, the Colorado baker who 
uh, is still fighting uh, for his right to be able to uh, uh, follow his conscience in terms of who he designs cakes for. And then we've got others out there like uh, wedding videographers uh, and Lori Smith's case, uh, wedding website designs. Uh, you know, uh, we had some out of uh, Arizona. We had two women who uh, designed uh, wedding invitations and other things. So, so it's an issue that, that persists and won't go away until the court actually deals with it. All right, um, Steve, pivoting from that conversation to one about uh, a teacher in Loudoun County, Virginia. Give us the update there. Oh, my. Well, Loudoun County has been a real hotbed for a lot of things, the conflicts between parents, students, teachers, school boards uh, in that county. And so in this situation, this is sort of the continuation of a situation that began uh, back earlier in uh, earlier in May of this year, where Tanner Cross, an elementary teacher, sued the Loudoun County Board after the the uh, after he made some comments at a school board meeting, a public meeting, uh, where he disagreed with the proposed transgender policy for Loudoun County School District, and that would it's just a policy that requires school staff members to address transgender students by their chosen pronouns. And for Tanner Cross and two other teachers, this was just a, a bridge too far because. Uh, because of their Christian beliefs, they feel like there are only two sexes and there are only two genders and they correspond to the sex. So a male is a male and a female female. And so for them to do this would be, in their, in their uh, beliefs, a lie uh, to, to, to actually do this. And so, so he spoke against that policy and two days later was suspended from the school and banned from campus. Um, and this was uh, a policy that anybody could object to at a public hearing. So he was reinstated by a state court judge shortly thereafter, but he continued a lawsuit along with two other teachers against the school. And this past Monday, there was a hearing on that lawsuit, the, uh, and the judge took it under advisement. So he has not actually issued a, a ruling yet. But it just points out um, sort of a free speech challenge in this case. Uh, it happens to also segue with their uh, with, with their really religious beliefs, but they spoke out as teachers on their own time at a public hearing and are being censored because of how uh, they spoke out. So that's, that's, that's an issue there in Loudoun County, but it's also an issue in many other places across the country where these policies have been enacted and where basically... Um, speech is being shut down, uh, the speech of those in opposition to it is being shut down by moves like this to actually suspend a teacher. All right, Steve West and I are going to pick up our conversation here in just a moment. But while we're talking on the subject of education, here is something to watch today in Washington. Um, It appears as if the House of Representatives is going to vote today on the White House Build Back Better plan, now calculated to cost Somewhere in the neighborhood of $4.6 trillion, it includes early childhood education provisions that specifically exclude churches and other religious providers. Um, I have been hearing from African-American Democrats in cities like Chicago who see this as direct targeting of black-owned and operated home-based child care services that their families and their churches depend on, rely on in some of the poorest neighborhoods in America. The vote is scheduled to take place today after House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy Uh, held the floor yesterday for an eight-hour filibuster. So 
Um, there are religious liberty issues at stake today in the House vote on the Build Back Better legislation. That's something we're watching in Washington. Steve West and I will be right back. You say come to Continuing our conversation with Steve West. He's the editor of the Liberties Roundup for World Magazine. You can find it at WNG.org. Steve, what is going on? Um, I mean, you know, most of us, frankly, not paying attention to where we are in the whole vaccine mandate conversation because we're just we've we've frankly largely moved on. Um, But uh, there's a lot still going on here. So can you bring us up to speed on what is happening with vaccine mandates across the country? Oh, there certainly is a lot going on. In fact, you know, we have different mandates in different states and and from state authorities, and then we have the federal mandates as well. So you see a lot of lawsuits across the country. Impossible to talk about all those, but I'll I'll just mention two which have to do with the federal mandates. One everybody is familiar with is the OSHA mandate that affects businesses of 100 or more employees across the country. This is a federal mandate. It was barely out of the gate a couple of weeks ago when a federal appeals court put it on hold temporarily, and then this past Friday stayed that that um, vaccine mandate that was to take effect on January 4th until a federal appeals court could actually deal with it. So now all of those challenges that have been brought all around the country against this mandate in every federal appeals court have now been consolidated in one federal appeals court, the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals, and it will deal with everything. And so it'll, it'll be looking at it. That court tends to skew conservative. And so it's a, it's a good, uh, there's a good opportunity there for uh, the court perhaps to strike down this OSHA mandate that affects all of these various businesses. It's very onerous because uh, it requires either that all employees be vaccinated or it requires that the businesses set up sort of a regime where they monitor the employees every week. They they have to get a test. They have to wear you know protective equipment. You know they're masking and everything. So it's kind of uh, for a small business. It's quite a quite a chore to be able to do that. So that is what's going on in regard to the OSHA mandate. And then we have another federal mandate that affects all healthcare workers. So everybody that works in a Medicare or Medicaid funded facility has to be fully vaccinated for. COVID by January 4, 2022. So that's been challenged uh, as well. A group of 10 states say that it's federal overreach and they filed a lawsuit against it. And then another, it's, it's, it's also been subject to multiple challenges, including challenges from, you know, places like, um, uh, place, you know, from, 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 uh, from, from places across the country, uh, Republican-led states. You know, and what what one of the concerns is that many of these states that have large rural populations, uh, this is going to impact negatively the amount of nursing care as well as medical care that's available in these communities. And so that's the contention that these these folks are making in these various states um, because they already have difficulties attracting uh, nurses and other healthcare professionals to these rural communities. And this is only going to make it worse, they say. Yeah, and it's not just healthcare facilities. It's all those people who deliver, literally deliver healthcare to people um, who are in their homes across the country. And community-based healthcare, and then home healthcare in particular. Um, I just I think that people who live in large cities and have access to really robust um, major medical centers. Um, 
they they don't get it. They don't get what is going on in the rest of the country in communities like the one where I live. Um, you know, you can drive to the city to a hospital, but in terms of the 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 primary ongoing check-in care that many people in my community are receiving, it's through home health and um, and healthcare delivery services that you know are not being provided by a worker who you know works for a major healthcare facility. Um, and so I, I, yeah, I, I don't think that there, I, I think that on this particular front, there's a lot of people who are making decisions about things for people's lives where they don't really know what's going on in regular people's lives. And so, um, yeah. I think we'll that's true, that. Carmen. And I also think that, um, also think that I talked with Christy Secker, Secker, who is the, uh, professional ministries director for Nurses Christian Fellowship. And I was writing this particular article about it and, she just talked about some of the stresses that nurses and others who are involved in healthcare faced over the course of the pandemic. She said that mm. a lot of these nurses have, have seen more death uh, in you know a year and a half or so than most nurses experience over decades of their career. And so you have some nurses that are retiring early. You have others who decide not, other who think about the are thinking about the profession or deciding not to enter the profession. And some who who are just leaving over a vaccine mandate. So various reasons why they're leaving. But it's been a very very stressful time for it. So you see a nurse or you see a doctor who's involved in health, somebody involved in healthcare. Thank them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, that's an important reminder this Thanksgiving week. All right, you've got one more update um, for us from a South Carolina theater teacher. What's going on there? Oh my! When you hear this particular case, you'll think, uh, how innocuous can this be? But this is what happened. Uh, uh, a professor, a theater professor at Coastal Carolina University was relieved of his teaching duties after he publicly disagreed with how administrators there handled a racially charged mishap. And what happened was uh, some students were sitting in after class uh, near a whiteboard. Uh, one of the students, these are non-white students, one of the students said to the other one, uh, I'd like to meet some other non-white students. And so that other student put some, a list of names on the board of non-white students that might be good acquaintances. Well, they left it on the whiteboard after class. The next class came in. They thought that non-white students were being targeted. And so a lot of protests, uh, you know, a class um, followed after that, a, a big uproar on the campus over that, uh, really a misunderstanding. And the Diversity and Inclusion Committee at the university got involved, and although they found that there was no wrongdoing, nothing nothing wrong was intended, they profusely apologized for, you know, what happened. And the theater professor there, who, uh, Stephen Ernest is his name, all he did was send an email out. It says, sorry, but I don't think this is a big deal. I'm just sad people get their feelings hurt so easily, and they're going into theater, question mark. After that email, uh, Students uh, accused him of being racially insensitive and dismissive of students of color, and he uh, they called for him to be fired. They didn't actually fire him, but they did uh, remove him from teaching duties, and uh, he won't go back to teaching, uh, I understand, until spring of next year. And so this is, you know, uh, this is a really a free speech concern on the part of the professor, and it also points out uh, a, a trend on college campuses of, you know, Things like this happening that are misunderstandings or a teacher exercising their free speech rights. And a, the, a, a segment of the student population just completely uh, goes overboard. And there's a Twitter storm of protests, uh, of, of calling them out. 
And then these diversity and inclusion committees usually get involved and the person is suspended or, or put under investigation uh, and they have to endure that whole process uh, until, until things are generally resolved in the end. Uh, they're generally not fired or anything. They're just, it, life is made difficult for months. And so this is something that has come about. We think, I talked with, uh, well, I talked with uh, someone at the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, Ronnie London, about this. And he said that there's been an uptick in this kind of thing. And he pointed to social media's role in publicizing such incidents, uh, increasing partisanship and a generation of students that are more apt to favor silencing and punishing viewpoints they disagree with than to engage them in debate. And I guess that last point is really the most concerning of these things that uh, students, some students don't have as large a respect for free speech rights as we might have in the past. I think there's a conversation, Steve, about when students go to college, what they expect to have uh, happen there, what they expect to experience. Many, many people just expect themselves to be affirmed and their ideas to be confirmed, um, you know, not to have their ideas confronted, not to actually learn new things. Um, and so I do think there's a there's a larger conversation that needs to be had about what university education is really for. And, you know, and then when we start talking about drama, we start talking about theater, um, you know, what are the credentials of the person that's going to come in and now teach? Like, I'm more concerned about the credentials and, frankly, the relationships that my theater teacher has beyond the university environment because, you know, that's actually how people get jobs. And so, you know, if you want to work in theater, it's not just about what you know and how good you might happen to be on stage. Um, it's it's actually who you know. I mean, there's a lot of relational um, equity that's necessary to function in that world. And so, you know, I, I just it's thank you for highlighting it. It's um, it's a window into what's happening on university campuses and uh, and not a good look um, when we peer in. All right. You and I do have to leave it right there. You guys can follow up with Steve West. He's the uh, Liberty's Roundup editor for World Magazine. And you can find that and sign up to receive it at WNG.org. We'll be right back. Did you miss it? You might have missed it. Apparently, uh, the beaver moon, the longest partial moon eclipse in 580 years, took place about an hour ago. I know. I might have missed it. Beaver moon lunar eclipse 2021 um, was not on my calendar this morning, and so I did not look closely at the moon this morning when I made my way to the studio. But there are some great pictures of this morning's lunar eclipse online, if you want to check those out. Apparently, it's called the Beaver Moon. I know not why. I'm only reading the headlines. All right. So uh, next up, we do have Dan DeWitt with our Weekend Worldview Reader. My guess is Dan's been up this morning having a cup of coffee. We're going to talk about church. You know, church is back. I don't know if uh, when you go to church, there are fewer people there than there were prior to the pandemic? If so, you're not alone, even if you feel alone. Church is back, but where are the people? When you look around, does it feel like there's more space between you and those in the pews next to you? Are you back at church? If not, why? That's the conversation we're going to have next here on Mornings with Carmen. When I tell parents, don't be perfect, 
they sometimes come back and say to me, well, of course I'm not perfect. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. I'm not ignorant of the fact that we all have deep flaws. No one is perfect. But I meet too many moms and dads who act like they've got it all together. Or worse yet, demand that their teens have it all together. Their standards are so high that no human can reach them, especially no awkward, gawky teenager. So, when I tell you don't be perfect, think about what you're expecting of others. Are you ready to walk away if your son makes a mistake? Are you worried that a misstep in your daughter's behavior will reflect poorly on you? Cut him a little slack. No one is perfect. Want to hear Mark in person? For a list of upcoming events, go to parentingtodaysteens.org. Listen uh, with me in the morning in your pajamas. Not so appropriate to show up to worship in your pajamas, which might be part of the reason people aren't headed back to church. All right, Dan DeWitt, good morning. It is Friday, and so you have for us the Weekend Worldview Reader at Theolatte.com. I'm looking at Church is Back, but where are the people? What's going on here? Well, Carmen, good to be back with you. And I didn't mention, I didn't notice the moon either this morning. So I need to, I guess it's too late now because um, the sun's I'm, coming I, out. It depends. It depends like geographically where you are. It's definitely too late for you and me um, yeah. because where we uh, are located. Um, I did learn during the break that every, every month's full moon has a name. And so Beaver Moon is the name of the November full moon. Last month would have been the hunter's moon. Next month is the cold moon. Wow. I know. There you go. You learned so much during the break. <laughs> well, and that has know. everything to do with church. <laughs> Amen. Some, what does it people, all have to do with church, Dan? <laughs> people just want to sleep in. And, you know, wow. if, if it were up to me, um, every Sunday would be fall back, change your clock Sunday, where you get like an mm. extra hour every Sunday. And I think, you know, eventually that would be like, I get, I'm sure catastrophic because our clocks would be really messed because up. Because it'd be, fr- um, because it would be Friday and that would just throw yeah. people off totally. <laughs> <laughs> so what the wall street journal this last weekend carried an article about on the front page about how churches are coming back after COVID, but it seems that their um, people aren't all coming back and they cite, they um, cite a George Barnes study that was done um, several months ago related to the the pandemic that one in three people who were active in church before COVID don't seem to be active anymore. And so um, the Wall Street Journal interviewed a number of pastors from different denominations, Protestant, Catholic, and had a pretty uniform representation of people who said, you know, we started streaming. Um, a number of our people would stream online. And then when we open our doors back up, they they haven't come back yet. And mm-hmm. so I could say just anecdotally, like there's a lot of pastors I know who have who've shared that very same um, observation. So I, I referenced this not um, 
not this specifically, but I referenced this, I don't know if it was yesterday or the day before, um, because there is something out there that's now being looked at as the mini church movement, like, right, mm-hmm. the the fastest growing kind of church, I don't know if it's a kind of church or not, um, is the mini church, where we think about, we start thinking about church um, as a smaller gathering than maybe we have thought about it before, and it's more about depth, um, and it's more about relationship than it is about, you know, bigger, 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 bigger all the time. And I noted that even mega churches, even very large churches, you know, are very intentional about being sure that people are in smaller groups, community groups, like groups of people where they can be known. Um, I think that's part of what's going on here, Dan. There's there's something about um, disappearing into the anonymity or the obscurity um, that's, it's not healthy, but it's happening. And I think that's the part I worry about the most. Yeah, the, you know, we, we really need each other. And so the relational element that we need in terms of our faith, I often, as I have the opportunity to speak um, on topics related to worldview and churches, I'll, I'll teach on Colossians chapter 2, where Paul's talking about deceptive philosophy and plausible arguments, and he precedes all that by encouraging them. Like the way that you prepare for those things is by having your, by being encouraged, by having your hearts knit together in love, and by being focused on the gospel. And I think that that passage in Colossians two, the opening verses, shows us that the best kind of defense against you know the the challenges we're going to face in the world with people who think we're crazy for believing what we do. The best defense is a a joy-filled faith community where their hearts are knit together in love and they're focused on the gospel. And so I think a lot of churches are through COVID, um, perhaps prior to, but COVID has kind of forced the issue. Like, how are we making sure that those relationships are happening? Because if we relegate the church to merely a preaching event, and I'm all for the centrality of preaching, the importance of preaching, but I think in some ways we can overemphasize preaching to the neglect of relationships. And if we do that, people can get the sermon in any number of ways. And so they could stream it, they could listen to it on a podcast after the event. And as Barna found during COVID, people started listening to other churches' sermons. You know, mm-hmm. So if it, if it all boils down to that, that's the easiest thing for someone to get without ever stepping foot inside of a church and without ever being in the bodily presence of another believer. Um, that online... Um pastor who you're listening to half a world away who's preaching a great sermon is not going to show up and hold your hand when you're dying. They're just not. That's not going to happen. So when we think about the body of Christ, when we think about, I mean, we think about a body, um, it's physical, it's tangible, it's present, uh, it's incarnational, and it's realized, it's made real in the most local of contexts. And so you know, we, I, I just think we're at risk of losing the whole biblical theology of the church as a body, as a family, as living stones built together. Um, you know, Acts chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2, right. Ephesians. I mean, like, right? Read the Bible and you will recognize that, you know, it's not just about not showing up on Sunday. It's about nobody showing up because nobody knows your name when you're in trouble. Like, I, I don't think people get how essential it is 
to be an integral part of a local body of believers if you actually want to experience the joy of what it means to be knit together in life, doing life with all the mess of it um, alongside other Christians. Like, this is how it happens. I mean, those 100,000 people who last year lost a family member because Mm. of a drug overdose. I'm thinking about those 100,000 families across the United States of America. Like, who... Who showed up to care about those people and who buried those kids? Churches, local churches, local pastors, um, you know, 90 percent of whom probably don't preach good sermons. Like, I, that's just the reality. Um, yeah. But but being knit together, I know I've gone to preaching. I'm so sorry. I I, about, well, it's but, so good. Uh, yeah. Mm. I, I, I was sharing on Colossians 2 a few years back in Alabama and um, I was doing a training event for um, student ministry leaders. And um, so not for students, but for adults who work with them. And I had three men on the front row um, who, as I started talking about Paul's admonition for our hearts to be knit together in love, um, kind of this anachronistic kind of word picture, you know, because we don't see people knitting like we used to. Um, mm-hmm. But if you were to think about like a, a scarf or something that someone's knit, the way that it's just one thing with all these threads that have been woven together, that that's what Paul says that the church should look like. And these three grown men, as I'm sharing that, began weeping and comforting each other. And they came up to me after I was done talking and shared with me how that week prior to, the man in the middle um, had buried his adult son. And Mm. the three of them walked through that together. And you're absolutely right. I mean, this is Body life is what the New Testament is about, and the, most of the New Testament are letters to churches. Even the book of Revelation begins with letters to churches. This is where God not only like expects us as this kind of like rule keeper in the sky, this is what God has created for our good, and we don't only need it. Um, the church needs you, um, everybody listening here. You have a person to encourage. You have a, a place to serve. You don't just need the church. The church needs you. Mm. That's so good. All right, we got to take a very brief break. Dan DeWitt and I are going to continue our conversation with you in just a moment. We're going to talk about the difference between responding and inspiring others by asking good questions. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. coffee this morning with Dan DeWitt. It is a good cup of coffee. It is apparently the good cup of coffee that he is going to be offering on Thanksgiving, having maligned grandmothers <laughs> like me everywhere and suggesting that the grandmother's coffee is not very good. And so if you're going to grandma's house for Thanksgiving, you should take your own coffee. Is this what you are bringing to the potluck? Yes. And mm-hmm. I, to be honest, I, I even keep a backup in my car of like the Starbucks instant coffee, which is not that great, but it's better than <laughs> Oh, it's a called lot of Via, coffee. and I travel with it as well. <laughs> yeah. I am so, quite familiar with the Starbucks Via. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Someone sent me a picture yesterday, and it, it was a meme of a, uh, a lo- looks like an older church deacon carefully measuring out a teaspoon, a teaspoon <laughs> of coffee to make a giant vat of coffee for, you know, the congregation. And that's so true. This like really weak, watered down, bad coffee. Don't do that. Don't, don't, you know, torture your family. And, you know, if you're going somewhere, bring the good coffee with you. Show up and be a blessing. That's my, that's my philosophy. Amen. 
Amen. All right. Dan DeWitt has posted all kinds of great stuff for us on the Weekend Worldview Reader. You can find it all at theolatte.com. Yes, like God and coffee, theolatte.com. Let's talk about don't just respond to questions, inspire them. So in the New Testament, I've really been reflecting on Paul's words in Colossians 4, which are, and I'll read in just a a second, are different than what Peter says. In 1 Peter 3.15, Peter says, always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks a reason for the hope that's in you. Peter, on the other hand, it's, or Paul, on the other hand, seems to be saying, don't just respond to questions, but rather talk in such a way that that's inspiring questions and anticipating questions. So if I could, I just want to read a couple verses really quick. Is that all right? Yes, please. All right. Colossians 4, verse 2, Paul says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. That's appropriate. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. And here's the verse I want to emphasize. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So here, Paul says, the way we talk leads us, not just listening, which is important, but talking in a very intentional way leads us to know how to answer people. I think that that's a picture of inspiring questions and not just responding to them. Dan, I feel like um, there's evidence in my conversations with others of how much time they've spent privately uh, with the Lord in His Word. I just, you can feel it. You can tell whether or not the person you're talking with has spent time soaking in the Word of God, in the presence of the Lord, considering um, the temporal from an eternal perspective, because their speech is gracious. Their speech is seasoned with salt. They do know how they're, uh, you know, how they should answer not just me, but how they should answer as God's spokesperson, his ambassador, from a kingdom kingdom perspective. Um, they're slow to tweet. I mean, yeah, they're slow to anger, mm-hmm. you know, but they're slow, they're slow to tweet. Um, they're considerate. And when I say that, they've considered the the challenges, they've considered the conversation, they've considered the eternal perspective. And only then do they contribute, and oftentimes with a question. And I think that's really important, asking good questions, getting people to dig deeper beyond the talking points, you know, asking them to tell you more. What's the story behind that? What leads you to believe that? Um, Those are just really important in the conversations of the day. Absolutely. You know, and and I I know exactly what you're talking about, Carmen, when you're with someone and you kind of let your guard down because you feel like this is the kind of person who's careful with words and careful with relationships. And so you find yourself maybe even sharing thoughts and feelings that you otherwise wouldn't share um, just because you trust this person and you want their opinion on it. And I think that's the picture Paul has here. And it's even this kind of you know, very appropriate for Thanksgiving, not only because it mentions Thanksgiving, but this kind of cooking metaphor, that we're carefully seasoning our words 
um, that we're we're letting our response have have time to to be just right so that we know how to answer every person. What a great what a great reminder as we go into Thanksgiving and we're having conversations around the tables in some cases with family members who may not know the Lord. Choose your words carefully um, and pray for the Lord to open an opportunity for the word um, for you to speak clearly, as Paul says, as you should speak. Yeah, I'm going to keep the salt shaker like near my place setting so that I am mindful of that. Um, What's your favorite side dish on Thanksgiving as we run out of time today? You know, um, dessert and then Mm. uh, (laughs) coffee with my pumpkin pie. But the, the side dish would be the sweet potato casserole with that brown which is basically dessert. Oh my <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> All right, so uh there you go. I that's delicious. It's so delicious. All right, we look yes. forward to talking with you again. Thank you so much for joining us today. We love the weekend worldview reader. You guys can check it out at theolatte.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Oh, I know all I owe, I owe, I owe, I owe, I owe, all I owe, and I know why. All righty, I was, uh, I was thinking to myself that it's time to say good morning to Des Moines, but Paul Perot does it so much better than I do. So, Paul, little shout out to our new Faith Radio listeners at Faith 100.7 in Des Moines. Did you, did you want the good morning thing? Yeah, I, yeah. I would like to, I would oh, like okay. the, <clears throat> I would like to hear it. Okay. Good morning. Morning, Des Moines. How's that? Doesn't doesn't that just make everybody smile? Isn't yeah, everyone just about that. so happy? <laughs> <laughs> happy? I think I made a few people go. Ooh. Oh, it totally makes me happy, <laughs> and and it's this great reminder of how you can pray for a place. Oh so, yeah, right. I don't. I've I've never been to Des Moines. Much oh. now to my sadness. I know. I will need oh, to go. I will it's a clearly... beautiful town. So I know that I've only been to the part of Iowa up there way in the northwestern corner, and I thought it was beautiful. Mm -hmm. I really, I was overwhelmed by, here's what I'm not concerned about, Paul. We're not going to run out of corn, Mm -mm. and and based on the aroma and the fragrance, we're not going to run out of pork. (laughs) This This is my assessment of northwest Iowa. So I, but anyway, I haven't been in Des Moines, and I, and I certainly want to go and check things out there and see what's going on. Um, but just know that this is a great way to pray for one another. Like all of the places where Faith Radio has an actual like radio signal, you guys could be praying across those places. Bismarck, Fargo, Kansas City, Sioux Falls, Waterloo, Madison, Hartford, Connecticut, Duluth, uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul, every little tiny little and nook soon, and cranny of the Twin Cities. And, and so coming, many more. Yeah, and coming soon to Western South Dakota. Just saying. I know. Just I saying. like the way you framed that. Coming soon to Western South Dakota, where we will also have to visit. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so there you go. There's a lot going on. Um, today in places across the country and around the world. You can pray specifically for them this morning. It's a great way to use your time of prayer. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at myfaithradio.com.